Nine life-changing lessons from Warren Buffett. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Brian, I'm so stoked about this one because this is one of our... Is, I got is your, way too are, close are to that microphone, microphone on the have, intro. Y'all have an issue there? All right. Uh, so one of the things that I think is awesome is this time of year, every year, we know that something special happens, right? Oh, man. And it makes me happy that our audience actually goes, hey, y'all got to do your special Warren Buffett episode? And we're like, yeah, it's March, yeah. isn't it? I mean, what do we got going on in March? Uh, so let's talk about what are some of the things that make March so exciting, all right? So I know this hasn't always been the case, but here in the office now, thank you to Carol, who a number of you know, March Madness is something that makes March super exciting. St. Patrick's Day is another one that makes March super exciting. And Brian, this, you didn't get to experience, experience this in the early years of studying for your CP exam because you were always studying at this time, but Mardi Gras makes March super exciting. But those, those aren't what we're talking no, about, are they? No, that's not exciting enough. The thing that we're talking about is the Berkshire Hathaway annual letter to shareholders. So this is the letter that Warren Buffett has this incredible folksy way of sharing knowledge. Not only an update on how good Berkshire Hathaway is doing, but also nuggets and kernels of knowledge that you can apply in your own personal financial life. So we have made it an annual tradition to go read the letter to shareholders and then bring back to you those kernels of wisdom so you can apply them to your own personal finances. And, you know, I would argue, Brian, we do this show, we talk about financial independence, we talk about abundance, and, you know, arguably, Warren Buffett is someone who, it appears, has mastered that, mastered the ability to, f- to build financial independence, and he's lived a pretty long time, so it seems like he would have some very sage wisdom to share with us. Yeah, I mean, it's a little unassuming. I mean, if you go to BerkshireHathaway.com, you're going to see this website that you're going to go, wait a minute, <laughs> is it 1998, and is AOL still where everybody gets their email from? But then you'll see this section that has Warren Buffett's letter to shareholders, and it'll say, archive from 1977 to 2019, Mm -hmm. it is a cornucopia of information that you don't even have to go to the 1998 website that Warren has because we have already done all the heavy lifting for you. Love it, love it, love it. So let's go through these non-life lessons we've learned from watching not only or reading the letters of shareholders, we've watched documentaries. Yep. We've got books. Matter of fact, I forgot to bring in half the props I had today because we had some <laughs> books on Warren Buffett's life. But that's okay because we did, and just a few years ago, HBO had a, a documentary um, titled Becoming Warren Buffett. Yep. And I thought it was quite interesting because it's our number one life lesson that you need to learn. And But I want to set it up because okay. what it had was it had – this class of accounting students. And the reason we know as accounting students is I saw the book on the desk. Got it. And he was get, he asked them this very serious question that seems kind of out there, but when you understand the context, it makes a lot of sense. He goes, what car would you like to have if I offered you any car? Now, on the premise, this is so exciting, right? Because this is Warren Stinkin' Buffett. He literally can buy you any car in the entire world. Yeah. So if you asked me that question, my mind would start racing immediately. I mean, I'm thinking like Teslas, Lamborghinis, uh, Porsches, the whole gamut. Well, the problem, and this is where he gets to his point, 
he's saying the catch is you get this one car for your entire life. Well, think about it. When you're younger, sure, you want the sports car. But then once you get married and start having children, you now need the minivan. Sure. You know, and then you get older and you're going to downsize, but you, you don't get these options. Uh-huh. And what he's getting around to is your body. We only all receive one mind, one body. So you better treat it like it is the only mind and body you'll ever have. So you need to make the most of your mind and body. Yeah, I think what's so funny, and we hear this in the YouTube comments and we get emails from you guys all the time, but we always talk about like how you make wise financial decisions, how you think about approaching your finances from a great manner. Says, hey guys, don't forget, one of the things that we have to invest in, we can invest in our portfolio, we can invest in ourselves. One of the things we ought to invest in is our health and our well-being. Because yeah. ultimately, if you're not here long enough to be able to enjoy the fruits of all the wealth you've been building, all the abundance you've been building, it's kind of all for naught. That's true. You, you, you've done all this work and you have nothing to show for it. What would we do without two Warren Buffett quotes? And then I want to kind of share some of the behaviors we've noticed sure. about millionaires. Here's the first Warren Buffett quote. What the wise do in the beginning, fools do in the end. So you can apply that not only to investing. Mm-hmm. I think it's also focusing on your mind and you know, and your body and the health and the investments. Is because look, guys, if you neglect it while you're young, you're going to freak out when the doctor tells you some of that unfortunate news. So go ahead. The wise do in the beginning what the fools do in the end. You know, this is not a Warren Buffett quote, but it's it's very similar in that same vein. It has the same tone to it. I'm always reminded of the quote, Brian, that says, uh, in the beginning, people always ask you why. Yeah. In the end, people always ask you how. Yeah. I can't tell you how often when I was in my early 20s, and like I just like going to the gym, like exercising, and all my buddies be like, why are you waking up early to do that? Why, are you, why don't you sleep in? Why... Well, now they're saying, oh, how have you managed to stay in safe when the rest of us have kind of, you know, put on some weight and gotten a little bit out of shape? It's because in the early stages, it matters the amount of effort, amount of work you put in. It's the same true with your health and your well-being. I think Bo just justified to his wife and everybody else why he why spent I get so much time in the gym. <laughs> the the, um, the uh, other quote from Warren was, the most important investment you can make is in yourself. Love it. So it's not only mind and body, it's also education, which is bettering the mind. And that led us to think about what do millionaires do that the rest of us are doing a little bit different. Sure. So if you want to go out to our website, you can go to moneyguy.com and we have a resource page. And on the resource page, there's a portrait of a millionaire. You can go check this out, see what it looks like. But we thought we'd just share a few nuggets and we pulled these directly from the next millionaire next door. So the average millionaire spends about five and a half hours per week reading the average person, average American, only spends about two hours. So even if you think about investing yourself, investing in education, expanding your mind, the average millionaire is devoted to what I would call lifetime learning or expanding yeah. their knowledge. And I liked how this was set up. I don't think it's necessarily only reading like fictional books sure. or entertainment. I know that we spend a lot of time just keeping up with cutting through the noise of what's going on with financial markets, with pop culture, because you kind of need to have a nice cross-section of knowledge just to make the most of your wisdom and how to navigate this world. What's the next thing that that we figured out? The next thing was exercise. So on average, the average American per week spends about two and a half hours exercising. The average millionaire spends 5.8 hours. And if you think about, you know, working out six days a week, it's about an hour a day for six days, average minute. So they recognize the value in health and exercising and keeping the mind and body sharp. That's great. So you're not just here for a good time, but you're also here for a long time. I like just kind of mixing it up a little bit. And then the last thing, let's talk about social media. I mean, look, 
full disclosure, we know that we run a social media type business. So don't take this one. They're not talking about the Money Guy show when we talk about this because that probably falls more under the reading That's side because right. you're bettering yourself. But keep going. So on social media, uh, the average American spends about 14 hours per week on social media. The average millionaire spends only about two and a half hours. And I think this is like talking about uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and that kind of stuff. Probably not watching the Money Guy show on YouTube. So sharing cat photos, not the same <laughs> as reading right. the Money Guy. That's exactly FTE right. FTE Daniel, we paying attention to these stats? Look at him. He's like, <laughs> off guard. I caught him off guard. We're not talking about Cleo, of course. So number two, this is something that I think is so powerful, is that you do need to, and this is something Warren shares, take the extra step that others won't. And what the heck are we talking about when we say this? Um, you know, Warren Buffett, it is, Bo, I think everybody, when they think of success, you, you hear the Drake song, start at the bottom, now we're here. Sure. Not that I'm saying that Warren started at the bottom, but we now see that he has $81 mm -hmm. billion. Dollars, and we're like, whoa, that, that's pretty cool. And we don't realize that there had to be a lot of things that happened between here to get Warren to this high sure. point that he is. There's a lot of middle section there and even a beginning. So a lot of us... We think of Warren Buffett as one of the greatest investors, if not the greatest mm -hmm. investor of all time. But a lot, you know, everybody, a lot of people who do research or if you read a book on Warren, you'll find out that he was a protege of Benjamin Graham, the yep. father of value investing. So that's all a given. But does anybody ever ask the question, Benjamin Graham, how did Warren become his protege? Yeah, how, how did, did that? He, how did he get, he get that, that opportunity? Yeah. Was this just one of those things where it was a chance happening? And we find out, no, if you go deeper into the story, Warren kind of made his destiny happen. And let me go a little deeper and explain to you. Benjamin Graham and David Dodd wrote Security Analysis. Mm -hmm. That was another prop I was yep. supposed to bring in here because I have that book as well. So, um, and, and so they had written this book. And they were both professors at Columbia University. They okay. were the, part of the business program there. So Warren Buffett gets rejected by Harvard. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Harvard. Kinda, it's one of those moments. Harvard's probably wishing they'd get that one back because uh, yeah, he's very charitably minded as well. They're probably thinking, wow, we let that one get, out, <laughs> get away from us. But he had just been rejected by Harvard saying he's not Harvard material. Sure. And he wrote, I thought this was great. Warren Buffett wrote a letter to David Dodd letting him know how much he enjoyed the book that him and Graham had written together and how he'd love the opportunity to study under two great minds. Yep. That letter is actually what is attributed to them letting him in to their business program. Now, he didn't just fill out an application and lick the stamp and send it off and do that. He made the cognitive choice, I'm going to go a step further. I'm going to do something a little bit extra to see if I can't influence my own destiny. Do what others are not willing to do. Go that step above and beyond. When I'm talking to people who are interviewing, I'm always giving the advice. I'm like, look, everybody sends resumes. Everybody puts a cover letter. That's not what's going to impress the next person. Right. I mean, Marcy, if you guys ever come visit us, you're going to see we have an incredible administrator here. Marcy Cole called us. It's unbelievable. She had, her family had moved here because she had moved with her husband. She had worked at another financial planning firm, and she pulled out the – that's not her personality. She's not a salesperson, but she went above and beyond. Yeah. I'll give you credit, Bo. I'll I interviewed it. you. I interviewed you. Was scared to hire you because you came off as – it's very similar to me. I was worried if I go train this guy, he's going to go want to start his own sure. company. So why would I want to take that chance? 
you called me back probably three to four weeks after I originally interviewed yep. you. And you convinced me on that phone call why you would be the best candidate. Most people would have just said, waited for the rejection email or the rejection letter. But you actually called me, put me on the spot and said, hey, this thing went so well. I felt like this was something that should have happened. Can you give me some feedback or let me know where this thing went off? And it led me to hire you. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that was really interesting that I learned early on is whenever you ask for something, the second best answer you're always going to receive is no. So if you receive no answer at all, you ought to ask again until you get that no. And I just wanted to reach out and say, hey, I noticed you didn't offer me this job. What went wrong? I thought this worked really well. And, you know, the rest is history. It ended up working out. And I'd say, you know, it worked out, worked out pretty good. Well, and, and I, I got my first job the same way, is that I was not what I call a front row sitter. So it's not like I was close to flunking out of college but it was one of those things where I wasn't the, I didn't have the best grades in right. school. So I actually, when I started doing the interview process, one of the um, partners that was interviewing me for a CPA firm noted my hometown and said, hey, we actually have a client in your hometown. Mm -hmm. and, and I knew who this client was. So before I knew I got the second interview, I'd made it through the gauntlet on the first obstacle. And when they told me they were going to bring me into their office for the second interview with a total, I think they had 10 candidates come sure. in. I took it upon myself to drive home in Georgia, meet with that client that was in my hometown of this firm, ask him what are the things he liked and disliked or what are the things that made this accounting firm sure. different. They brought it up later that that's why they hired me. They liked that I it's went above went and beyond step. and didn't just send them a resume, didn't just do an interview. I figured out a way that I could stand out from the crowd. We have done this for other people yep. in the financial planning profession where through networking, through people I knew, we've helped other people get jobs. Guys, go the step above and beyond. Love it. That's what you've got to do. If you go beyond basics, you will be rewarded because that's the big part of, of what has made Warren successful too. You never know when you've worked your best day of work. I will tell you, I think Warren, looking back on his life, would say writing that letter to David Dodd Definitely changed his life, the whole but trajectory. also changed all of our lives as well. Yep. That leads to number three, connecting matters. Yeah, this one I think is so, you know, we, we live in a world where we have to interact with other folks. We have to uh, talk to folks, whether it be clients, customers, bosses, employees, employers, supervisors, uh, husbands, wives, siblings, parents. We live in a world where you have to be able to interact with other people. And, and I think what we found and what Warren has kind of showed is that the better you're able to interact, the more successful you can be over the long well, term. Everybody knows. I mean, Warren is great for interviews because he gives these folksy interviews. He has a writing style that the reason he's so quotable is because he does give off this simple folksy persona, but you just know he's a genius. Sure. But here's what's amazing about this persona. When you watch documentaries on Warren Buffett and hear him self-describe or even talk, you see that they, if you go beyond the sound bites that he's given CNBC or whatever interview he's doing, Warren is actually somewhat awkward. Just a little he, bit, yeah. He processes the world a little bit differently, and it's not uncommon for genius to be quirky. I yep. mean, we can we know we work with a lot of successful people, and it is very, you know, that's why we pick on Justin Timberlake. He got so many talents. You know, when God was shaking the, the salt shaker of talents, you're not supposed to be likable, dance, sing, you know, athletic. You know, all those things aren't you supposed to. We're all good at certain things better than other things. Sure. And Warren has gone, taken it upon himself 
to train himself on the things that he actually struggles in and has been extremely successful. How did he do it, Bo? Yeah, he actually said he attributes that to taking a course, if you can believe it. The course he took was a Dale Carnegie course. And for those of you who don't know Dale Carnegie, he wrote a wonderful book on how to win friends and influence people. And he said that the lessons that he learned in that course are probably some of the most influential, important lessons that he's learned in his entire life. And this is a guy who has become the wealthiest man on earth he says that what he learned in that cl- class about how to talk and interact and relate to people is the most valuable life lessons he ever, he's ever learned. And by the way, these concepts are timeless. Del Carnegie you know, kind of developed all this in the mid-30s. Mm-hmm. 1930s era, era is when Del Carnegie came up with this. Warren went to his course. So that is, if there's one in your area, matter of fact, it's interesting – we have one of our employees yep. is taking it, and you've given her so many compliments because you love what it's, it's doing for it's her. It's been unbelievable. You know, I've been I've been fortunate to be a mentor through her t- to her through this, and I have seen like very tangible changes in even the way she interacts at work, the work product she's putting out. It's amazing. This stuff actually works, and it sounds ridiculous, but whenever someone asks me, "Hey, what's the most important business book I can read?" or if you could only recommend one business book for me to check out, what do you recommend? Without a doubt, it's How to Win Friends and Influence People every single time. So it's, that's why we keep it back here on the shelves, guys. It is definitely something to look at. And I want to give you a few quotes from, from the Oracle of Omaha himself. So here's what Warren shared. It's better to hang out with people better than you, pick out associates whose behavior is better than yours, and you'll drift in that direction. And I feel like you've modeled this so wonderfully, Brian. I think you've really, you've really knocked that out of the park. I can't tell if you're saying that by bringing you on, it's made me better, which I'll give you some credit for. So I, I, I'll buy into that. And then here's another quote from Warren. At the end of the day, Oh, this is actually not yeah, a warrant. This is not warrant. This is what this, this we pulled mentality. this one because I love this. I remember when I saw my first interview with her on Oprah's show, mm-hmm. but I always liked um, you know, this quote. And it, it's at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. They will remember how you made them feel. And that's by Maya Angelou. Yep. And she, that is just so powerful. I know that's not a Warren Buffett quote, but I definitely think that Warren took that, he understands that, and he applies that in his own life. And we actually use this all the time when we're talking with uh, employees and associates here at the firm. We tell them, you can be the smartest financial planner in the world. You can have the highest academics and be the most sophisticated. But what really matters is how you're able to take that concept and relate to the client or to the person you're talking with. I think that transcends all vocations. If you can yep. figure out how to really connect with people and hit them in their feelings, I think it makes all the difference. Well, I, I think about because people ask me, they know I come from a public accounting background, and they say, well, in your profession, what makes people go from good to really this greatness? Mm-hmm. And I say, look, if I could talk to young people and tell you who's going to have the skill sets to do this, I always tell people, it's not uncommon to find accountants that are great with numbers but they don't really like being around people. people. It's the combination of somebody who's great with analytics, but also enjoys the company and is good, has a strong emotional Mm -hmm. IQ that turn into the rock stars of the profession. So that's why that connecting matters. You can be the most genius person in the world, but if you can't interact with the world around you, it definitely can create some barriers. Exactly right. So let's move on. Number four, this one's important. Warren definitely understands this concept. Make your money work as hard as you do. 
Yeah, this one is so huge. And this is, I, I can't say it's a money guy echo because Warren probably ended up saying this first. But we talk about the army of dollar bills all the time and building your army, building your army, building your army. This is exactly what we're talking about, building your army that actually can work harder than you do with your brains, your hands, and your back. Well, let's give some, here's a Warren Buffett quote that I love. It says, if you don't find a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until you die. That oh, sounds that's so cold, true, but that's so but true. It's, all he's talking about is that are you letting your money work for you so that you're not always having to work with your back, yep. your hands, you know, your brains. It's all you want your money doing these the heavy lifting for you. And here's the other quote: Do not save what is left after spending. Instead, spend what is left after saving. And we talk about that all the time, Ron. You've actually dubbed this the four scarcity concept. I'm going to yeah. pay myself first. I'm going to save first. I'm going to put that money away. And then whatever's left over, it's okay if I spend. I can spend without guilt, without wondering, am I doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing straight from the wet mouth of Warren Buffett? Well, that's what I love. And you're going to notice any type of leadership series, any type of quotes, books, or you start reading, you notice there's some commonality two successful sure. steps. So that's why it's not uncommon that you say this is kind of like a money guy echo. It's because you're right. For scarcity, what it allows you to do is pay yourself first. And then as you have continued success, you continue to squeeze. I mean, you save a little bit more instead of letting the lifestyle get out above you yep. so that you're living above and beyond your means. You're always keeping it to scale and investing first, not waiting to see what's left over at the end of the month. That's Love such it. a powerful concept. And then that led to, in the 2019 letter of shareholders, this is the one that just came out a few weeks back, that Warren had a whole section on the power of retained earnings. Okay. And the way I kind of titled this was that I consider retained earnings the miracle grow. You're combining savings with compounding interest. It's so powerful. And this also led a little clue, it gave an inclination on are dividends even good? That's kind of contrarian because sure. there's all these people out there that are talking about the best way to invest is dividend investing mm -hmm. because you can reinvest them and they keep growing. Warren kind of puts that on his ear. He goes, wait a minute, dividend investing? You know, because there's a lot of people that know the, that, that Warren talks about tax policy and he talks about how his secretary pays more than him income, and yep. so forth. And you've, I've often wondered... You know, Warren says these things, but then I look at how Berkshire Hathaway is structured and they do everything they can to minimize taxation, sure. meaning that they don't issue dividends. That's why Berkshire Hathaway stock is six figures. Mm -hmm. I mean, because it's not like they split. It's not like they're issuing dividends. This thing is really buttoned up from a tax perspective. This year's 2019 letter to shareholders kind of gave you a glimpse on that because he talks about just the efficiency. He, he really takes the responsibility of growing capital as an important thing. It's an efficiency thing. So this is what he talked about. He said there was a 1924 book from Edgar Lawrence Smith titled Common Stocks as Long-Term Investments. Sounds like a riveting read. Well, I mean, it, it's nerdy, but this is why Warren is so good at what he does. He says, this book changed the investment world with this novel point. And here's the quote. Well-managed industrial companies do not, as a rule, distribute to the shareholders the whole of their earned profits. In good years, if not in all years, they retain a part of their profits and put them back in the business. Thus, there is an element of compound interest operating in favor of a sound industrial investment. Over a period of years, the real value of the property of a sound industrial is increasing at compound interest quite apart from the dividends paid out to the shareholders. You know, I've heard uh, Warren say something very similar in some of his previous letters. Essentially what he's saying is 
the company might be able to better invest those dollars by reinvesting them in the business that they're operating in instead of paying them out as dividends to shareholders. And Warren's thought is, so long as the company can invest on a compound pre-tax interest way better than you can as an individual investor, he's going to keep pouring retained earnings back into the company as opposed to paying out dividends. And that's why, you know, you think about it because it's true. What happens with dividends? There's taxation. Yep. So you've got the inefficiency that part of the capital is going to disappear from taxation. Yep. You think about the fact that, you know, Warren is saying he's often, and I, I give him, I'm not going to take anything away from him. He's superior with finding opportunities. Sure. Berkshire Hathaway has really created a unique thing where they not only buy marketable securities, but they go out there and they acquire businesses. Mm -hmm. And he's done a good job. And it's probably true. If you're trying to figure out who is the next dollar better used by, based upon Warren's history, he's saying it's good that it stayed yep. in. And as you keep that in, it's just like if you look at C's Candy and you look at what he paid originally and what it's worth – this is definitely compounding interest is that you look back on your own investments and you'll realize a little, and this is part of deferred gratification, turned into something pretty spectacular yep. in the long term. And this is the, the quote he had on this. Though investors were slow to wise up, the math of retaining and reinvesting our earnings is now well understood. Today's school children learn what Keynes termed novel. Combining savings with compounding interest works wonders. Uh, again, and I can't say it's a money guy echo because it's coming from Warren, but Brian, we talk about this all the mm -hmm. time. We talk about this 88 times over concept about if you can figure out how to defer a little bit of your dollars today into tomorrow, it gets exciting. And it gets more exciting the more time you have to let those dollars continue the to compound. The sooner you start, the easier it is, the more inevitable your wealth creation becomes. And then we even had a slide on this. We call this the wealth multiplier. That's right. You know, we talk about all the time someone who's 20 years old, if they just want to take one dollar they want to go invest that, by the time they turn 65, that $1 can turn into $88. So powerful. For someone who's 25, it goes to 53, 30, it goes to 23, and so on. You can see how powerful time is. If you can get those dollars working for you early on, it will make all the difference. If this is something you love, go to our website, go to moneyguy.com, go to our resource page, check out our wealth multiplier slide. You can have this, put it on your bathroom mirror, send it out to your friends. Uh, it is just so, 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 so well, powerful. small decisions in your 20s and 30s will have tremendous, huge material impacts That's in the exactly long right. term. So go ahead and make that sacrifice. That leads to number five. And this one, man, when you think of Warren Buffett, like we've had some volatility in the last few weeks. Sure. I think of Warren Buffett every time we yep. reach moments like this, because here's number five. Being a contrarian can be very profitable. Now, I love it. And Brian, we're going to read some quotes that just hit this nail on the head. But I want you to think about one word in here, and we'll talk a little bit about it. Around. Being a contrarian can be <laughs> profitable does not say being a contrarian will be profitable. We'll talk a little more about that. Well, I think because uh, I'd like to kind of... I think what you're getting at is because we do hear being a contrarian. So I think there are people who just jump on the opposite side yep. of what consensus is sometimes to be the contrarian. That's not what Warren's saying. Not at all. It's because like we know that we're in a growing global economy where there's innovation, there's technology. Yet we talked about it in show prep. There are some people that are perma bears. They're known mm -hmm. as perma bears. They're always against. They're telling you the reasons, the pessimistic reasons why economies are not growing or why they're going to have their black swan events, sure. what's going to take them out. And this is not like every two years they come up with this where they're trying to predict when the market's down. They're always every year. negative. They're glass half empty. So you, would you say they're contrarians 
Or do you think there's another word to describe it, though? I, I think they're just wrong is what they are. And I think, you know, so you, can, you can be contrary in all you want and say the sky's not blue. But if the sky is, in fact, blue, you're going to lose that argument. So being a contrarian, recognizing when, is, was recognizing when the herd is moving in the wrong direction. Exactly. And you can move in the right direction. So much of personal finance is behavioral understanding of understanding how inefficient the average human is on the way they react to news, how they handle their own personal money. If you can be disciplined with your behavioral issues, you will set yourself up for success. And here's some quotes that Warren has on this to give you some context. The first one, every decade or so, dark clouds will fill the economic skies and they will briefly rain gold. When downpours of that sort occur, it's imperative that we rush outdoors carrying wash tubs not teaspoons. I think that's so beautiful. Well, by the way, this concept, because you're going to see us, there's a trend here. It's just like great advice can come in many different packages. You just change the adjectives. You change the objects you're talking about. Because here's another one. Quote, investors should remember that excitement and expenses are their enemies. And if they insist on trying to time their participation in equities, they should try to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy only when others are fearful. He just said the exact same thing. He just used different words to say it. It's so perfect. And this is the one everybody quotes this one because it is one of those things when you look around. Because I always tell people, this is I've been managing money. I've been investing since the mid-90s now. And, and looking back on periods when you have these short periods of time where you can make a tremendous sum of money, you look back, you go, wow, looking back on it, that was pretty obvious to see that maybe people were overreacting about things. And it goes back to Warren's quote is, be fearful when others are greedy. So when markets are at their tippity top, maybe your spidey senses should be going off. But then when, and greedy only when others are fearful. So when everybody's running out of the building because they thought somebody, they heard the word fire being yelled, that's when you need to look around and go, is this as bad as everybody's saying? Is there a contrarian aspect here that could create opportunity for me? Two more quotes again. This is saying the exact same thing. Uh, Most people get interested in stocks when everyone else is. The time to get interested is when no one else is. You cannot buy what is popular and do well. Again, greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy. Yeah, and going outside the herd. And here's the last one. Opportunities come in frequently when it rains gold, put out the bucket, not the thimble. I just think that he had a, a thesaurus and he was looking for like different <laughs> words that mean like a basin for catching things because that's just absolutely genius. So just always bottle this up, what you just heard those quotes from Warren Buffett, and know that whenever we face adversity or something, when you hear anybody out there say, we're in a brand new paradigm, it's never been like this before, I want you to go pull some Warren Buffett quotes and see if there might be some silver in those dark clouds. Love it. Definitely a silver lining there. Number six, time is your friend and the value of time. Yeah, again, this is the whole, you know, we, we talked about how powerful compounding interest is. The thing that makes compounding interest so powerful is the time that you apply. And so just like in most things, it takes time for you to end up achieving some success, no matter what it is you're working towards. Yep. And and let's jump into some quotes, because I like some quotes on this, because Warren gives perspective. Successful investing takes time, discipline, Mm -hmm. and patience. No matter how great the talent or effort, some things just take time. Now, this quote, it's great, but I was like, can we read this? (laughs) But here, let's keep it going. So I'll, I'll pick it back up. Some things just take time. 
You can't produce a baby in one month by getting nine women pregnant. It's true. It's true. Some I mean, you gotta put in the time. time, and that's why I think a lot of people taking out the kind of it's an odd visual there of what Warren <laughs> has created, but it does showing. I think a lot of young people they come into why? Why do you think Bitcoin is so popular? Is because it's had the this these straight up you know, hockey stick moments sure. where it has created, you know, your 20-something-year-old millionaires and things. But the reality is the majority of people make their money over time. Right. And you just kind of have to start the behaviors. You have to start the processes and then come back and you all of a sudden figure out that, hey, your money has turned into something. And it's not only investing, but we talk about this also as an experience. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about the 10,000 hours that it takes to achieve expert level in any task that you're doing. It's amazing that if you want to start doing something, if you want to be an athlete or a performer or a financial advisor or an underwater basket weaver, it takes time to become an, a, an expert. So if you are someone else to pursue those vocations or if there's something you do want to pursue, be willing to put in you know, 10,000 hours. That's about five years of time to work towards that mastery level. It's not something that just clicks and happens overnight. No, so so well said. And then I had two more quotes that, that were on top of this is, Someone sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Love it. And then here's this is what I think is when I think of that quote of time and what how powerful it is. This is something that I think a lot of people lose perspective on. It goes back to that visual I've talked about already on today's show. Is that people see Warren at this level of wealth at eighty one billion dollars? What they forget though is that it took fifty six years for Warren to become a billionaire. It was 1986, and then over the next 33 or so years, now his money has grown 81-fold. It's the same way with you guys. You're going to find, you hear it all the time, the first million is the hardest to get because you're working, but you do reach a critical mass size where your money starts working for you. So the biggest things you can do for yourself for success is while you're young, just Get the money in there. Don't hyper-focus on where to put it. Look, that's why we talk about index target retirement funds is because you focus on the behavior that's going to create success. Get into the nuanced stuff after you built your assets up to a critical mass, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000. I love it. Uh, the next one that we talk about all the time, and, and part, part of that is, as you recognize, okay, time's on my side, compounding interest on my side. This is another beautiful Warren Buffettism. This is number seven. Optimism is a good thing. This is so powerful. And by the way, I love the slide that FTE Daniel pulled up here because it's really that middle one you got to look at. And you look at this glass and you go, so what do you see there? What, what, what are you, what behold, what's sitting before you? Are you looking at a glass that's half empty? Mm-hmm. Or are you looking at a glass that's half full? And that kind of tells what your, your outlook is. And I will tell you, it pays to be an optimist. Yep. And this is where Warren comes in on that. Listen to this quote. Early Americans, we should emphasize, were neither smarter nor more hardworking than those people who toiled century after century before them. But those venturesome pioneers crafted a system that unleashed human potential and their successors built upon it. This economic creation will deliver increasing wealth to our progeny far into the future. Yes, the buildup of wealth will be interrupted for short periods from time to time. It will not, however, be stopped. I'll repeat. What I've both said in the past and expect to say in the future, babies born in America today are the luckiest crop 
in history. If, if that does not get your blood flowing and make you ready to go run through a wall, I don't know what will. Well, I think it requires some explanation because I think a lot of people, when I'm talking to young people about money, I think there is some a lot of false information or just misunderstanding about how wealth is created. I mean, I grew up in a household where we heard people inherited sure. wealth and other it's things. We know that that number is really depend upon which book or research you're looking at, 77 to 86% of millionaires are first generation, but that's not put out there. But here's what I think people don't understand. It's not like the pizza pie is just one size, and the only way you can build wealth is if you go take somebody else's slice mm-hmm. of pizza. What the reality of how the economies and the global market works is the small pizza over time doesn't just turn into a medium pizza, doesn't just turn into a large pizza. It turns into that Gumby-sized pizza that is so big that you get a T-shirt that if you eat this thing, because that's what happens. The pie gets bigger. So it's not like you have to actually go take from somebody. You can create opportunity, and the system is constantly growing upon itself. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And Warren, he said it this way. He said, American business, and consequently a basket of stocks, is virtually certain to be worth far more in the years ahead. Innovation, productivity gains, entrepreneurial spirit, and the abundance of capital will see to that. Ever-present naysayers may prosper by marketing their gloomy forecasts, but heaven help them if they act on the nonsense that they peddle. I love that part about heaven help them if they actually act. So there's a lot of people selling stuff. It cracks me up when you watch any cable news right now. There's always people pushing, you know, how to start your own seed Mm -hmm. bank, you know, buy our periodical because we got the guy who bought Amazon when he was first starting out or the guy who called the last mortgage downturn. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all kind of things, but forecast, you have to be very careful because it's, it's just a dangerous, dangerous game. But look, we're just two guys sitting here. Don't take our words for it. One of the things that we did is we actually did a survey of all of our wealth management clients that have come to us from the Money Guy show. And we laid out some questions so we could discern what do they think about money and what are some of the things they look at. So when we asked them the question, yeah. the insight was pretty powerful. We asked them, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And what I thought was crazy is, is that, and our, our research tied in very closely to what Chris Hogan and Everyday Millionaires came in with their 10,000 surveys they did. We just reached out to our several hundred clients yep. that from the Money Guy show, and we found out, I mean, that 81% are optimists. So this is 81% of financially successful individuals and households. A lot of them have achieved millionaire status. Eight out of 10 of them claim to be optimists. So obviously, I think... It pays to look at the glass as half full. So definitely look at your mindset and ask yourself, am I looking at the world the right way to recognize opportunity and be an optimist about the future? Love it. All right, let's talk about number eight. Okay. This one's important because as I've already shared, behavioral issues are the main problem that I think is the biggest obstacle to people creating wealth. And so what Warren shares is number eight, keep your emotions in check. I mean, I think, you know, we've already said the quotes where he talks about, you know, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. That's basically saying, keep your emotions in check. Don't allow yourself to be swayed or persuaded by other voices out there. Yeah, because the herd is wrong most of the time. And I love this quote. Here's a, here's a Warren, Buffett, Warren Buffett quote that's going to serve you well. Quote, the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the 
patient. So the question you have to decide is, which side of that camp do you want to fall on? Do you want to be the impatient who money's transferred away from or the patient whose money who money is transferred to? Well, we tell people, don't put any money in the financial markets unless you can walk away from it for five to seven years. This yep. is supposed to be a long-term investment. It's yep. not for short-term. And I'm so surprised. I think what Warren's getting at there is so many people try to time the market. They get in, they get out, they freak out based upon what the mm -hmm. news media is putting forward. And that is not actually what creates success right. over time. Remember, investing is like walking up the mountain with a yo-yo. Yes, it. there's going to be ups and downs like the yo-yo, but you're constantly going to higher ground. And we have proof on that because the financial media, are they trying to work in your best interest? And yeah, the answer is no. They are not. And I think I think one of the one of the quotes that that Warren even says about this, he says, during such scary periods, you should never forget two things. First, widespread fear is your friend as an investor because it serves up bargain purchases. Mm -hmm. Second, personal fear is your enemy. It will also be unwarranted. Investors who avoid high and unnecessary costs and simply sit for an extended period of time with a collection of large conservatively financed American businesses will almost certainly do well. So it should be just as easy as sit and do nothing, right? Yeah, we, we know wealth creation is actually simple. It's just, it doesn't mean it's easy. That's though. right. It's definitely simple, not easy, because most people cannot control the behavioral limitations. I mean, think about it. Dave Ramsey, why is he so successful? It's because 80% of the public can't figure out that if you have credit card debt, you're probably doing it wrong. Yep. This seems like common sense, but yet it has created a great thing that Dave is incredibly well at motivating people on that you and I consider common sense. It's the same thing with investing. It seems so simple to Warren Buffett that you just simply sit for an extended period of time and you'll be successful, yet that's not what we see the average American doing. Well, and the reason is because, Brian, there are voices out there instructing us to the contrary, right? So let's kind of talk about can the can the media predict what's going on in the financial markets? So we just wanted to put together an illustration. Now what this shows is from 2009, the Great Recession, all the way through 2019. Yeah. And on the overlay in the back, if you're out there listening in iTunes or Stitcher or iHeartRadio, we're actually just showing the, the trajectory of the S&P 500 from 2009 till 2019. And it's exactly what you said, Brian. It is a yo-yo walking up a mountain. The yeah. mountain keeps getting higher, but yes, there are some ups and downs. But all along the way, we just thought we would pull out some popular media headlines like, uh-oh, the risk of double dick recession is rising. Or, uh-oh, here it comes, the recession of 2011. Or, why America's big banks are predicting a recession. Or, six signs we're closer to the next recession than you think. This information has been hitting us in the face for 10 years yeah. now. And I would argue, it has not been right. You notice how many times they say our double dip recession happening. <laughs> I mean, eventually they're hoping, I mean, I didn't get it last time. Maybe I'll get it this time. <laughs> you say it enough, I mean, you'll it, be right it, eventually. eventually. you will be right so we can say that we called the market downturn. It is one of those laughable things. So this is the picture from 2009 all the way through the end of 2019. Let's look at some historical times sure. where also the media has kind of probably, it's harder to find this stuff on the internet because... They're not too proud of these moments. So in August of 1979, the cover of Business Week ran a title, has a stock certificate that's crumpled up in the trash, and it says, the death 
of equities. That must mean that stock investing is officially done. 1979, man, this thing is horrible because the run ahead line, like the death of equities, you're pretty confident we are at the end of a, a, a period. It is just so sad to see this go away. Now, who is the guy that said the rest of the story? I always forget. Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. So now I'm Paul Harvey. What's the rest of the story? The S&P 500 over the next 12 years went from... It quadrupled. Quadrupled. Bottom left all the way, yo-yo up the mountain, high top right. So, I mean, it just shows, once again, the media was so wrong. And Warren's got some quotes on this that we'll share in a minute. But let's keep this exercise going because if they can't predict when the market's going up because they're so gloomy... How about, can they predict when the market's going to go down? So, okay, so let's look at it. March of 2000, uh, how to invest in the hottest market ever, right? So we have the dot-coms, internet's booming. This must be the time that you want to get your money in the market and get it working. Well, I can, I can see it. You're at the airport or you're at the grocery store and you walk by your magazine stand. I know but that's kind of hard to believe now because we, we're but, all mag- digital. Magazine but stand, back the- in the day, this is March of 2000, you would have walked by a magazine stand and go, man, Money Magazine, mm-hmm. these guys, they're telling me this is the hottest market ever. This has to be the time. I want to be, I want to make the money because I went to my Christmas party. My brother-in-law was telling me he had quadrupled his money just this year alone by buying a technology fund. This has to be the perfect time to get into the market. Yep. What happened? Well, Paul Harvey, uh, S&P 500 over the next two and a half years, a precipitous drop from, uh, what's that, probably 1,500 right around there down to 800 by the end or by September of 2002. It's the dot-com bus. I mean, we saw that this hottest market ever had a lot of hot air in mm-hmm. it. So it was definitely the media missed it on that. So how about, let's fast forward, let's talk about the Great Recession. We had the Great Depression, and na- and then the worst downturn since the Great Depression was the Great Recession. I mean, we had a lot of people, you were nervous, the wheels were physically coming off of the banking institutions of the world. So in October 2008, Time read a cover, and it said the new hard times. And on the cover is literally a picture. I'm, a, a picture. I'm assuming this is from the actual well, Great it says Depression. free soup, yeah. Uh, this is soup lines. It's showing that this is how bad things are, and it's only going to get worse from here. These are the new hard times. Well, we know, because this is pretty recent history now. That was October of 2008 that they had the new hard times with a picture from the Great Depression. And the rest of the story is the S&P 500 has boomed. Over that same, ele- I mean, That's that exactly 11 right. year period has just been, it's, we've had a, at least a threefold increase mm-hmm. in the financial markets. And realize if you had taken the advice of any of these magazine covers, it would have been hazardous, it would have been harmful to your financial health. And so why do we as investors fall prey to that? Uh, the answer is, Brian, and I've seen you talk about this all, all so many times over the years, is because we as investors, we as humans, are emotional creatures. So if we're emotional creatures, it makes sense that we're emotional when it comes to making financial decisions as well. And so that's why we always talk about the cycle of market emotions, the ups and downs that you experience as an investor. And and I thought that we had this quote, I know we were planning on using it somewhere, but I still think it is appropriate talking about the cycle of market emotions, how people get so excited on the upswings, because it is one of those things, you're going to parties, people telling you how they're making money, you get that euphoria because your money's really working for you. But then as it comes down, we do have that depression. And we've been through some volatility yep. recently, and people are starting to panic. Yep. I mean, and that's what what I get sad about is that 
people don't realize is that when markets are at all-time highs, that's actually the point of maximum financial risk. But by the contrarian standpoint, when we reach the lower of low, when everybody's freaking out, looking for the exits, that's actually the point of maximum financial opportunity. But you can't even give away stocks when that is going on. So I think it's worth repeating because this is something that we'd use is forecast may tell you a great deal about the forecaster. They tell you nothing about the future. That's beautiful. So, I mean, Warren has it. The fundamentals matter. The understanding that we live in, it's great to be alive. It's great to be a part of innovation technology. Mm -hmm. Don't get sidetracked by a bunch of forecasters who really don't have your best interests at heart. And that leads to number point number nine, which is know what you can control. So we've already talked about that, you know, when the markets do their thing, people can't predict it. People can't actually predict it. So trying to focus on when the markets are going to be up and when the markets are going to be down is likely to be futile. If we can't control that, then we ought to shift our focus and focus on things that we can control, things that are under our realm of control. The behavioral type things and the big things, here's what you can control. Taxes. You can be very proactive on how you plan for taxes. You can pay attention to fees mm-hmm. so you know what's going on and what you're paying for while you invest. Your asset allocation. Yep, how you spread your, your assets tax out. tax location of your investments between taxable tax deferred, as well as tax free. And then last, your risk exposure. I mean, you can control every one of these things. And then a big thing that I think people, we look, we know it. And when we're talking about risk exposure, we're also talking about the fact that we know at some point, it could be decades away, but at some point, we're all leaving this awesome planet that we live on. So you need to plan for the future. Warren Buffett in the 2019, that's the one that just came out, letter to shareholders, He lets everybody know that he has created an estate plan that figures out what's going to happen to Berkshire Hathaway after he's no longer here. Because Warren's in his 80s. He knows that this is a scary time for investors of Berkshire Hathaway. They're probably wondering, what happens to Berkshire Hathaway stock? Warren owns so many Mm -hmm. shares of it. Is this thing going to be dumped and sold as soon as he passes away away and and the stock price is going to get destroyed? He came out and he said, no. No, uh, look, I've written in my estate documents, I've written into the trust, and I've even written a waiver of liability that Berkshire Hathaway stock, I've instructed everybody, do not sell this when I pass away because I've left it in capable hands. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a systematic plan that over the next 12 to 15 years, we will be diversifying out of it. So what do you take from that? You listen to that and you go, okay, this guy is worth $81 billion. What's the teachable moment within all that? The teachable moment is, is that if Warren Buffett has an estate plan, so should you. Yep. And what should go into a good estate plan, Yeah, Bo? so pretty much the basics are you want to have your last will and testament, which kind of says, you know, how I want my assets to be distributed, what my wishes are after I pass. You want to make sure that you have appropriate life insurance, you have health care directives, you know, who's going to make health care decisions for if you can't. You want to make sure if you have any sort of trust structures that are needed, whether that be for probate purposes or to protect yourself from creditor purposes or to protect children purposes, you sure. understand your estate plan. And then you want to make sure you even have things like disability insurance in place. Even if you don't hit the big one, but you're just kind of out of commission for a while, you want to make sure that you have your family covered. Yeah. Make sure that if you are taken out on a Tuesday afternoon, your family's protected. And that leads to the last point that we had about what you can control is obviously your behavior. Don't get bought into the panic 
and the fear-mongering and the media. I mean, it creates this storm of opportunity for you really to get distracted and not act in your financial best interest. So be very aware of those things. So we think there are nine life-changing lessons that we can all learn from Uncle Warren. I'm going to run back through them really quick. Number one, make the most of your mind and body. Number two, take the extra steps that other people aren't willing to take. Number three, connecting with others matters. Learn how to do it well. Number four, make your money work as hard as you do. Number five, being a contrarian can be profitable. Number six, time is your friend. Number seven, optimism is a good thing. Number eight, keep your emotions in check. And number nine, know what you can control. So we have taken a man's career that has spanned decades and kind of brought it into a lot of teachable quotes that Warren has shared, as well as from our own research of the Oracle of Omaha. This is one of those things where I feel like in our own little way, just like Warren has the letter to shareholders that has become such a valuable resource, it has become an annual tradition for us. We like to think that we've also kind of come into your financial life as a tradition that you like. And part of what we're trying to do to expand and influence and make that even better for you is we have created a resource page. Mm -hmm. If you go to moneyguy.com, you'll see we have our resource page and there's all kinds of things. I mean, we talk about the behaviors of millionaires. We talk about the money multiplier. We talk about taxes. I mean, there are so many powerful things. If you're looking to better your financial life, you have to go check out our Money Guy resource page, moneyguy.com. Really powerful for you. Also, look up here behind me. I have a timer, a a, a counter that we are steadily marching towards 100,000 YouTube subscribers, but it's not going to get accomplished by 1231 unless I get your help. Go subscribe, Ring the bell button and enabling notifications so that we can continue to reach those goals that we're searching for. And then the last thing, why do we do this? Why is this such a free resource where we want you to come learn, apply, grow? What's the catch? Why would we just continue to give you and love on you for all these years since 2006? Is because we understand that doing good things for good people, creating success in your life is probably going to create opportunities That's for right. us too. So if you we plant the seeds within you, and then years later you reach a level of success that you need to take the relationship to the next level, you're going to remember who planted the seed. And that's where the abundance cycle kicks in, and you will reach out to the Money Guy team. Bo, this was a great episode. This was a great episode. We look forward to it every year. Thank you so much for allowing us to spend some time with you. We're going to keep the shows coming your way. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.